You're listening to a Metro podcast. What is up, eSport fans, and welcome to Scrub League. I am, of course, your host, Colin McNeil. With me in the studio, as always, Kevin Hamilton. Howdy. Now, Samantha Eman is away this week. Speaking of which, huge congratulations to her. We got the word that Scrub League's favorite Heroes of the Storm player and Riot Games adversary said yes to the big question. Um, So, Kevin... Doritos and Mountain Dew will be our wedding gift to her, probably? Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. Red Bull, I think, is is traditional. I was actually going to say, I was, I'm hoping she registers with Red Bull, because that would be easy. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations to her. Uh, she'll be back next week. Um, it's great news. But hey, guys, we do have a show to do, um, and it's a good one this week. We've got Dan McHugh. Uh, he's the senior esports manager at High res They're the guys behind games like Smite and Paladins. Uh, and we're going to be talking with Dan about some of the games High res has in the pipeline, like Smite Tactics. Smite Tactics, excuse me, uh, as well as the future for esports that occupy a niche, dare I say, middle lane in terms of popularity and player base. Uh, I'm also going to be giving my thoughts on some of the interesting comments from Evo Street Fighter champion Infiltration, which he made this week uh, about season two of that game. And Kevin's going to go on again about some speedrunning stuff. Mm-hmm. He says that you might actually like to watch speedrunning, and it's kind of neat. It's kind of a thing. Yeah, it sounds crazy to me, but I, uh, I'm, I'm willing to hear any argument, Kevin. All that and a whole lot more is coming up next on Scrub League. Welcome back to Scrub League, guys. As promised, we have Dan McHugh from High Res. He is the senior esports manager uh, at that company. Dan, welcome to Scrub League. I am happy to be here. Oh, we're really happy to have you. We're fans of High Res here. Uh, I got addicted to Smite back when we had Adonis on the cast, like, what was that, two months ago or something, Kevin? Yeah, it's become it- a problem since then. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, it's a blast to play. Um, Speaking of which, you guys had your high-res expo as of this recording this past weekend. Um, How did that go for you guys? That, it was amazing. It was our biggest and best event that we've ever run as a company to date. And I think everyone around the company is still... uh, kind of soaking soaking in uh, how, how well it actually went. Damn, that's awesome. Um, just, you know, we don't need to get into like super finite details, but what made it the best ever? Well, uh, for one thing, we had the addition of Paladins. Yeah, we had a big Paladins tournament at this event. Uh, unlike the previous World Championships, they were just it was just under the name Smite World Championship the past mm-hmm. two years. And then now since we have a little more a few more titles that we've introduced. Uh, we were kind of branding it as a high-res event. And, uh, and, this, and the Paladins tournament was awesome. There was an Oceana team that came from Australia. They placed in the top four, uh, which is pretty unheard of in Smite these days. But yeah, we're, we were all very, very excited about how that turned out. Oh, fantastic. Now, speaking of the game Smite, which is sort of my connection to high-res, um, yeah. one thing that always, like, I find uh, an interesting thing to think about when it comes to high res and when it comes to Smite is you guys 
sort of, you've been around for a few years, talking about Smite specifically, as an mm-hmm. eSport, and yeah. you occupy this interesting niche. Um, in the intro, I jokingly called it like a middle lane when it comes to eSports. You guys aren't Riot, say. Uh, you're not um, uh, Dota or anything like that. And yet, you are successful. You have a very enthusiastic, dedicated, passionate player base. And yeah. I, I, you're on people's radar. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, that niche that you occupy? I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess I, I can try. Um, it's just, I don't... People, I feel because Hyra's as a company is smaller than some of the heavier hitters out there, like like Dota, Valve, and uh, you know Riot and that sort of thing. That we may feel some sort of obligation to stay connected to our communities a little bit more than the bigger guys do, uh, and I think that brings a lot of why our fan base is so passionate about our game is because we're so passionate about them and we, and we're not afraid to show it either. You know, if, you know, people can reach the devs, you know, we're easy to access. If people are experiencing problems, we're, we're very responsive as, as a company, uh, you know, to those sort of things. And I think that those sort of things that we do uh, have a big impact on why, why we're so successful. Now, clearly, there's uh, a lot to do about the community and about uh, high res as a company, but in terms of the game, I mean, certainly Colin has attached to it very strongly. It's done nothing but exacerbate his god complex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the the big difference with, with Smite, in addition to sort of like the flavor of, of the gods and the pantheon and stuff, um, is that, that third-person perspective, and I think that maybe that makes it um, a lot easier to maybe play and get into as opposed to watch, but I'm wondering what sort of distinguishes Smite as a MOBA to view. Like, if you don't play the game and you would just watch it, uh, what are the advantages that Smite has over some of its competitors? Well, I think our spectator mode is is awesome because we're able to toggle between that kind of overhead view uh, and the third-person view, so we kind of can put viewers in the in this basically in the driver's seat of what the what the players are actually doing. I think that adds a lot of value to watching competitive smite as as a fan and maybe casual viewer um but yeah i don't know i don't know what it is i mean we have a lot of our our, all of our talent is very closely connected with the community so you know it's it's people are showing up for different reasons you know they're either showing up because their favorite pros that they watch stream are playing or maybe their favorite caster is on uh it's it's i don't know how to pinpoint it that's fair enough. Um, you know, Kevin. Kevin's talking about the viewership angle because he doesn't actually play Smite. But I got I, I don't want to go over too much about what I talked about with Adonis. Sure. Repeat myself. But as a player, you know, I feel like the 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 advantages to Smite are many. One, it's very beginner friendly, and my God, most MOBAs are not. I mean, it is scary to yeah. go into Dota for the first time. <laughs> oh. um, it's it's beginner friendly. The the God theming is so cool. Like you get into that, you got the third person thing. Um, you know, and I've tried the other ones. Like I've, I played Paragon and that kind of stuff, and they look beautiful. Yeah. But I, I was just—I'm not a rocket scientist, mm-hmm. so I couldn't quite figure out how to play those <laughs> games properly. Yeah, yeah, and and people sometimes talk about Heroes of the Storm as like you know, baby's first MOBA, or whatever. right? It's like that's enough for me. All right, I don't need the item shop. I don't need like last hit kills and stuff like that. Like it's not necessary. Yeah, and um, I and the other the other thing, Kevin, is uh, I love the 
different um i don't even know how to put this this the different arenas you can play in in smite like they have the conquest mode right which is your standard three lanes Mm -hmm. but joust is where i live joust is where it's at yes I can, I can really appreciate the um, the ability to look at like the first person view of the players when you're watching because um, when we were looking at uh, some Counter Strike matches um, yep. at, at Northern Arena, which is sort of where I, I had my you know crash course in Counter Strike, yeah, uh, you know w- watching from a first person perspective and seeing um, not just sort of the result of their actions, but exactly like how fast and and how quickly they're moving and how they're watching their cooldowns and stuff. Uh, I think would really help you um, improve as a player just to uh, to watch it in that uh, in that way. Yeah, yeah, now, absolutely. Dan, going back to the to the, to my niche question, I think sort of uh, I didn't articulate it very well, but what I was trying to get at was basically high res's overall strategy. Are you guys sort of trying to stay in the lane you are, being very community active, being grassroots, serving a dedicated player base? Or, you know, does everyone want to become the biggest guy on the block? Um, well, I think I think there's there's a certain space that there's a certain mindset that we know that the space that we occupy currently in the kind of in the realm of things is is a space that someone has to occupy. You know, like if we're okay. if we're up with the big pe- if we're up with the big guys, you know, there's going to be that that spot right below them. Um, and someone's going to fill it. So while we, while our company, I mean, my, our, the company is, is grown massively. So I think while we're not really trying to avoid becoming one of the big guys, um, I think we're still in that transitional period as a company where, where we kind of have to occupy this space right now. Well, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And uh, of course, you know, nobody wants to avoid massive success, you know, getting too big. <laughs> Naturally. But, but there is such thing as like getting too big too fast yeah, and, we, and losing your losing touch with your, your player base. We've run a lot of stories about um, Riot just drawing the ire of people because I think in part because it's grown to be this sort of unwieldy, you know, bureaucratic uh, organization where it's, you know, it's hard to get things done. There's lots of lines of communication that, that break down. Yeah. Smite, uh, Smite fans are awesome. Actually, I remember back again, again back when we first started talking. You guys, when we had Adonis, uh, you guys were kind enough to provide us with a few skin codes. Um, and man, did people crawl over each other for those! <laughs> I was like, oh my god! I was on Kevin. You remember I was I was on the Smite subreddit and I was mm-hmm. freaking out because I couldn't give. I got so many DMs, I couldn't give them the codes fast enough. Yeah. Oh my god, it was crazy. <laughs> Now, Dan, uh, I could talk about Smite all day, but you guys have other games. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering yes, about do. I'm wondering about Paladins that you brought up earlier because I think that kind of fell off the map for some people once the sort of Overwatch, like who's copying who, sort of controversy erupted some time <laughs> ago, which yeah. was kind of was kind of goofy. We discussed it on on the podcast a bit. Maybe you can sort of catch us up as to where um, where Paladins has grown for people who might not have been following it this time. Yeah, uh, I think I'd, I'd love to touch on where I can. Um, I know that we were, I'm almost certain we were the top free-to-play shooter on Steam. Okay. Uh, we when wow. we launched when we launched uh, it was either closed or open beta on Steam. It must have been open beta. Um, when we watched open beta on Steam, we saw numbers skyrocket. I mean, the the average concurrence was like right up there alongside smite 
Uh, so, as, and then we see v- the game is very, very popular, uh, not only in North America and Europe, but it's shown a huge presence in places like Brazil and Russia and, and that sort of thing. And we're, we're trying to ramp up in other areas of the world where it's maybe not accessible yet. But yeah, I mean, the overall growth of Paladins that we have new, we have a huge pipeline of new champions that are going to be coming out. Um, a few more tweaks to the overall gameplay that I can't discuss now, but uh, sound very, very fun. Well, that's and, really, and yeah. that's really interesting that you mentioned it is gaining some traction in markets like Brazil and Russia because we really do not talk enough about those areas of the world. It seems like it's always about Korea, it's always about North America to a lesser extent, Europe. Um, but esports is exploding in Brazil. And I know Russia recently, by recently, I mean like four or five months ago, recognized esports as an official state, state sport, something like that. Yeah. So for, uh, I think, visa purposes. For visa purposes. Yeah. Those markets are huge. If you can get a foothold in them, you're probably sitting pr- pretty. It's true. And right. I think that, you know, sort of these sort of um, online, like always online sort of uh, games help get around a lot of the piracy concerns that keeps a lot of game companies from pushing in places like Brazil, mm. um, where that it, that can be uh, quite rampant. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's, you know, once you get out of uh, the places where English is, you know, the first or, or second language, um, there's esports is a really big, uh, big scene that we, we don't uh, acknowledge often enough. That's true. Um, and speaking of uh, high res's pantheon, let me say, mm-hmm. of games, uh, there's one that's in the pipeline, Dan, uh, Smite Tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Actually, our own Kevin Hamilton is in the beta right now. I am indeed. Ah, very nice. Yes, my my good friend Scott Gandhi. Uh, you may have heard of him. He's, uh, I think, the lead design on on Smite Tactics. And yeah, I mean, this the game is the game is super fun. I I don't know too much about it because he hasn't come to me asking for an esports scene yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, from all of the attention that it got over the weekend at HRX, I mean, we've heard nothing but positive things about about the game, and it's cool to see a game having early success using this my IP. Yeah, I mean that's that's really interesting because I was going to ask whether there was any sort of um, esports aspirations for um, Smite Tactics or the other spinoff that was, uh, I believe, revealed, which was Smite Rivals, um, yep. which is kind of some people would compare it to like a Clash of Clans sort of thing uh, or mm-hmm. Clash Royale. Um, and one of the things that I thought was uh, really interesting about it is it looks like it's got the the models pulled straight from Smite, which gives it this really interesting kind of. Uh, high fidelity, high res, if you will. Feel ah, nice. I don't know if a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of tactics games have, so I appreciate that. Yeah, no, the overall design. I know there's like there's things in the pipeline. New, I believe we're trying to add new pantheons to it. Uh, maybe a couple new maps, that sort of thing. Uh, new cards, new ways for people to play the game. I mean, it's only going to get deeper and better as as the development team is able to spend more time on it. And, and that team is growing itself too. Hey, speaking of uh, new pantheons, am I correct that the mm-hmm. first Celtic god in Smite have they been released or they're about to be released? I believe she is released. Yeah, that is super cool. The last new god I saw, I, I haven't played in like a week because mm-hmm. Batman. I think she got I, released like yesterday or two days, two days ago. Two days ago. Okay, okay, very yeah, cool. The Morrigan. We uh, we announced her at uh, at at HRX. Yeah. 
Man, that's that's exciting. Um, Super cool character. She's probably going to be banned in every single competitive game okay. that I have to operate. <laughs> what's her uh, What's her class? So I believe she's a mage. Yeah. Uh, don't Don't show this to anyone on the dev team. Okay. <laughs> I don't. hope she, I hope I hope I'm right. But don't put uh, this podcast up on the internet. No. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she has one one uh, ability in particular that I'm that I'm referencing as to why she she would probably be banned, where she can transform into any other god on the map. Oh my and, god! And, and then all of those gods' av- abilities become available to her. Oh my god! So that's her alt, obviously, right? Yeah, for for a short duration of time. Yeah. Oh man, that is sick. Can you imagine yeah. the possibilities? Oh, for sure. Uh, uh, you could just limit, like. It's like it's like you know you get hit, you respawn, you steal Athena, you use her alt to go to another guy on the other end of the map. You go back to the Celtic god. You you know what I mean? Like See, this is really uh, interesting because in Heroes of the Storm, there's a character named Abathur, who I believe you're familiar with from Starcraft. Love Abathur from Starcraft. I don't know Heroes of the Storm, but I know Starcraft. Yeah, one of his alts is that he can clone uh, another player, but he doesn't get their alt. Right, because it's like, oh, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it seems like uh, High Rise has taken a different tactic. Does the Celtic God get their alt? Do you know? If you're playing the Morgan and you use your alt to take the form of another God, do you get yeah. all of? Oh, yes, you get all all the abilities. Oh my yeah. goodness, you get all the abilities. All the abilities. Um, Dan, who do you play in Smite? I would like to know. Uh, I am personally a big Anubis guy. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Back again, taking me back to my first introduction to Smite, where everyone on the interwebs was telling me Goobus is the worst, and then I'm playing and he's killing me, um, and I discovered uh, that Goobus is not the worst. He, I'm a big mage guy. I he, like to just build damage and one shot people. Kevin, he's <laughs> he's brutal. You like you have a freeze basically, where mm-hmm. you like wrap a guy up in embalming stuff, you know, because right. he's the god of embalmment, and uh, then you just laser beam them and it just oh it's so frustrating and scary yeah see one of the things i appreciate about um smite tactics is that it gives some of these uh let's call them lesser appreciated gods uh a chance at a redemption because all of a sudden they have entirely different stats entirely different abilities yeah. so ah, okay i mean the game is very much in active development still but who knows you know anubis might be meta before you know it now speaking of uh you mentioned art assets um I wanted to just say, Dan, that I one of the things about Smite that I love a lot is the skins, the alternate skins. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not a unique thing to that game. It's, you know, all these, but something about the skins in Smite is so much fun and they're so different and so cool. Like I was telling Kevin about, I play Hercules sometimes and about okay. the, um, what's it called? Like Big Slugger or something. Where oh, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where he's a baseball, a baseball player. Bat. Man, yeah. and I would kill to have the bodybuilding Hercules. Um, that is, that <laughs> one is amazing too. Yeah, but, keep, yeah. keep hustling for more uh, skin codes. Yeah, yeah, Dan. Uh, so I'd kill I to what, have I that. Uh, doing here. Yeah, my email, by the way, is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay. I'll stick with the baseball one for now. But uh, a lot of fun. Love the voice packs, um, and I do like also the fact that um, every god has a different flavor. Some are serious. Some are not. Um, Kevin knows that when I first started playing Smite, I started with Raw because he was on my free rotation, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going, 
this is the god this is the egyptian you know king of the pantheon god of the sun and he's making all these puns and i was like this is weird and it feels wrong but then there are gods who are super serious and are just all about blood and guts and i like the i like the um the range let's say yeah yeah it's good i, I uh I'm always finding new gods to uh, get owned by. So <laughs> appreciate that man after my own heart there. Now, one thing I wonder about is you see um, Clash Royale sort of uh, trying to take off into the, the, the esports realm um, in terms of mobile gaming. And I'm wondering if they haven't approached you about um, Smite Tactics yet, are there any suggestions that maybe um, Smite Rivals could, could enter that space as well? It's possible, yeah. Yeah, you know, depending on, you know, how popular the game becomes and, uh, you know, a need for a competitive scene, uh, you know, we're my doors are always open for our titles to become esports. <laughs> Just bring <laughs> them to me and I shall anoint them with I'll make title of esports. <laughs> it's my godly powers. So there's a, there's a lot going on at high res right now. Dan, uh, are you able to tell us sort of what's in the pipeline, generally speaking, for 2017? 2017. At least in terms of the esports, which is, of course, what this podcast. Uh, the esports. The esports. Well, for the esports, um, at least for Smite, we're going to be going back to a three split format. Uh, last year, we did a two split format with uh, DreamHack happening in the middle. Okay. This year, we're going to be switching back to more of a all year round sort of thing where there aren't really too many big breaks. Um, the console scene is ramping up. I believe the budget for the overall scene has increased by like 18% or something like that. I forget the exact figure, but it's somewhere between like 12 and 25%. Um, so more prizing, more, more lands, more tournaments, more splits, more smite. Good. Uh, I like that. Mm-hmm. So smite is looking good for season four. It'll be my first full year uh, as senior esports manager for the scene, so I'm very, very excited for the for the train to get rolling on that. That's going to all start up a little bit towards the end of the month, this month here. And, and then for Paladins, uh, we're going to be hosting, while things are still in open beta, we'll be running another tournament that feeds into a LAN. Uh, we're looking at maybe making that some, some sort of international LAN where we invite other regions besides North America and Europe out. And uh, I haven't locked down the details on that, but it's looking good uh, in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, esports is, is looking very, very good for us this year. Sounds like uh, onward and upward for uh, high-res esports. Um, Dan, if people listening to this podcast uh, you know, aren't familiar with their games and now they're hyped to try them, where is the best place to watch high-res esports and to, to play high-res esports? So the best place to watch high-res esports is twitch.tv slash high-res TV. Right on. That, that's where we broadcast all of the Smite, uh, Smite Pro League, Smite Console League, that sort of thing. The And for Paladins, that would be on twitch.tv slash Paladins game. Right on. Shout as out to as my get- console players, by the way. No, oh, yes. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. PS4. Hello. Nice. Very <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, and as far as getting involved, uh, if people want to keep an eye on uh, twitter.com slash smite pro or esports.smitegame.com, we always have the latest updates and announcements on what tournaments are coming up, how to get involved, where you need to go, what you need, and everything 
you know, surrounding the details to, uh, you know, to get yourself a team and, and get going. Right on. Well, I'll tell you what, if my Odin gets good enough, maybe uh, maybe I'll just form a smite team. The scrub Sir, team. I would love that. The scrub team, yeah. which will remain in scrub tier where we belong. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would love that. Dan, thank you so much for making a little time for Scrub League. We really appreciate it. Loved having you on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, guys. Well, Colin, were you smitten by our dear friend at Hi-Rez? Absolutely. Uh, what a nice guy Dan is. I hope we can have him on the podcast again. And I do wish all the best for Hi-Rez and their esports endeavors. As I said before, I'm addicted to Smite, man. I'm mm-hmm. going to keep playing. I'm going to keep plugging away with Athena. I'm going to keep plugging away till you're the first of the gods in Smite. I, I will rule the Pantheon. You'll see. You'll see. 2017 is my year, man. All right, guys. Coming up next, uh, I'm going to chat a little bit about some pretty interesting comments that Infiltration had about Akuma and some other Season 2 Street Fighter Five issues. Uh, Kevin's going to be talking about awesome games done quick. That's speed running. And uh, if we get to it, Riot done must messed up again. Uh, all that and more coming up next on Scrub League. Stay with us. Welcome back to Scrub League, guys. Okay. Uh, Kevin, you know who Infiltration is? Do you know? I've heard the name, which means he's a big deal. Right, exactly. So he's the current Street Fighter V champion at EVO, um, and he's, you know, one of the top-tier Street Fighter players around right now. Um, He did an interview recently uh, where he made a bunch of comments about Season 2. Now, initially, (coughs) we were going to talk about, excuse me, and we were going to talk about his comments regarding Akuma. Um, He didn't really like Akuma too much, said it wasn't the best character, and that's what... um, Surprised you for some reason. Well, it surprised me a bit, but actually, when I watched the full interview, because it is on camera, that was not the most interesting thing he said. They kind of buried the lead, if you ask me to use a little journalist terminology here. Um, He did say Akuma wasn't so good, blah, 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 blah. But he was also made some comments that Capcom um, doesn't seem to know what it's doing in regards to serving a casual player base or a hardcore player base from season one to season two. And these are the comments that actually ended up being interesting for me because this is an issue that I latch on to a lot. Uh, I am one of those people who thinks that games survive on casual players and they absolutely need to serve them. I don't know if there's anyone who disagrees with that, really. Uh, You know, in the FGC, at least on Twitter, I mean, there are a few people. Um, There are people who are saying, you know, the pros of the scene and blah, 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 blah. But uh, guess what? If nobody buys the game, you don't have a scene. Sure. Um, So anyways, he, Infiltration, his take on it was that, I believe, season one um, was supposed to be friendly to uh, both new players and returning players. It was supposed to be like, this is how you play Street Fighter if you've never played. And also, if you played three and four, you know, here's what's a little bit different, but, you know, it's all good. And then he says, season two, they really flipped the script. They changed so many things. So what it did to new players is they spent this entire year learning a character, right? Um, And now they can't play that character anymore. Or at least if they do, they pretty much have to learn them again in some cases. Because the changes are so significant? Because the changes are so significant. And, you know, tiers have flipped in some cases, you know, uh, regarding, say, Balrog uh, and Ibuki, uh, people like that. Um, And so that is really disorienting in his view to new players. Sure. I'm not sure if that's something that's really unique to Street Fighter because, you know, uh, buffs and nerfs happen in all sorts of online games and it can just take a, a character from... 
you know, uh, dominance straight to garbage tier, right? It, you're right. And uh, I just feel like it shouldn't happen that way. Obviously, he's speaking on, speaking on Street Fighter because that's his realm. That's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's king of Street Fighter, sort of, well, maybe Duke, Knuckle Deuce King. Yeah, well, here's the thing when you, when you have these sort of um, uh, buffs and nerfs, right? It's like, from a player's perspective, sometimes you don't understand that there are, like, different motivations from the dev team for doing something. Like, for instance, in Heroes of the Storm, um, when they release a new character, it's almost always, like, busted, right? Because when you're introducing someone and he's at the new high price point and everything, (laughs) you want to make sure that if it's going to be either... uh, If you can't get the balance just right and it's got to be either a little too bad or a little too good, you want it to be a little too good, right? Um, I hear you. And in games like uh, Magic, for instance, that just went through a couple bans recently. Uh, and some people are suggesting that it's not because of pure dominance, but it's because it has like a play style that they don't want to encourage. Um, you know, like it's either boring to watch or it's not skill testing or something of that, that nature. So, I mean, I'm not as familiar with the Street Fighter scene, but quite likely there are sort of reasons you wouldn't might not expect for why you would nerf something straight into the ground as opposed to doing uh, something a little bit more gentle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, again, infiltration doesn't work for Capcom. He can only speak on what he sees as a, as a player. Um, but yeah, from a player's perspective, it, it is a little weird. And and I don't think that Street Fighter Five at all has followed that model of have a guy come in busted. Um, because they, they probably want to do as little buffs and nerfs as possible. They don't want to mess with it too much. Sure. Because fighting games are, are, are uh, it's a game of finite things, right? Very specific things. And if, if you keep tweaking it, you can't take it to a high level. Yeah, um, I understand what like you mean. Like frame rates and things like that. So you, you really have to stay off it for a while. But like a lot of the DLC characters in season one came in sucking. Like mm-hmm. Ibuki sucked. Yeah, um, it, it's probably a larger problem for these sort of fighting games because those are uh, games where you tend to like pick a character and you master them, right? Yes. While when you're playing a MOBA, you know, you're doing a draft, like you have to be able to be proficient with several characters. Exactly. And if the one you played the most, you know, drops off the face of the earth, you have other options. You, you would be hard pressed to find a Street Fighter pro who has more than two characters. A lot of them have one. Right. One. Now imagine you wake up season two and you're like, sick, Nash sucks now. Mm-hmm. And you 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 play Nash, and you have to make your pocket. Uh, I don't know, Mika, good. You yeah, know. or Hungry Box is just like all of a sudden Jigglypuff. You know, the the rest ability like has a longer you oh, know uh, a downtime period after use. Oh, just you, you can't recover from that, right? That could like end a career for sure. Uh, and I guess yeah, I mean uh, I see Infiltration's point. I kind of I, I feel him. And but what I really liked, Kevin, was we got a top Street Fighter pro talking about the importance of changes regards to the casual community. All you see in the FGC, in, in term, in, at least online, is a lot of data about high-level play. Frame rates, um, new setups that are sort of high-level, things like that. That's all cool. It's really fun to watch. But the scrubs, the scrubs, we need some help. Well, this surprises me because you often talk about how down to earth the fighting game community is and how close they are with uh, their fans and how you can just sort of go right up and talk to someone at these events and, and chit chat with them. Oh, it's still true. They're not treated like they're, you know, head and shoulders above you and there aren't press agents being like, no, 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 you can't talk to that guy. Oh, that's 100% true. Like, this isn't like an elitist thing. It's just that, um, you know, when Chris G 
uh, is exploring the changes in season two, for example, he is going to break it down uh, on his level, you know, at, at the level of an extremely high tier player. Right. Um, he might make one or two comments here about people who aren't quite as good as him. But generally, the attitude is kind of like, okay, well, you got to get good or you got to learn your combos and stuff. And Yeah. I mean, it's when you when you are, you know, grinding it out and like practicing and focusing and uh, like scoping out your competition, you know, all day, every day. Uh, I'm sure you can too, you can definitely lose touch that you know other people play the game in a different way than you do. Oh, that's the thing. You hearing some people talk, you'd think there wasn't such a thing as a guy who flips on his console every couple days and plays a couple online matches and messes around in survival mode. You'd mm-hmm. really think that guy doesn't exist. Uh, and that is an unfortunate mentality that I would like to get away from because they are at the end of the day like they pay your your paycheck right like you know they provide money to the company you know the company sees that the scene is growing so they keep supporting it they keep making more games they have the game last longer yeah you know that's it's all part of the ecosystem it is esports are sort of a marketing tool in in some regard i hate to be cynical about it um but gotta serve the casual fans as much as the hardcore. that's just what i'm saying all right well props to infiltration absolutely um download complete Kevin does not know what that <laughs> that reference is. I don't. When he, after he won Evo, he had this super weird memeified uh, uh, post interview where he goes, "Download complete," <laughs> and everyone was like, "What, man? What?" Uh, I <laughs> I just still roll with it. I still don't know what it means, but it was awesome. Um, you know what else is awesome? According to Kevin Hamilton, maybe no one else. No games done quick. Games done quick. Speed running in general. Yes. So uh, this Sunday. Uh, this past Sunday, which was uh, January the 8th, uh, I was watching Awesome Games Done Quick, which, if you're not initiated, what is wrong with you? Uh, it's the top sort of speedrunning event of the year. Um, it's a big charity event. Um, so, you you know, all the money that's being donated um, goes to, to charities, um, which is something that's really big in the speedrunning scene and something that a lot of people appreciate. Um, so I was watching a race, which I've talked about before, uh, on the cast as being, I think, deserves sort of the same status or even just the title of of eSport, um, which it, it's in a weird kind of nebulous position, right? And uh, so I was watching this race between um, Smoggy and Munch Koopas where they were doing Shovel Knight. Great which names, is a, by the way. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm gonna have some more in a minute that are even better. Oh, yes. Um, I don't know whether you've uh, ever played Shovel Knight, Colin. No, uh, like I'm familiar with it, but I've never, never touched it's it. It's a really, really fun uh, game to play. And to watch for speedrunning, it was great because um, it was very big on sort of the, the technical skill and like trying to get these skips right and to down bosses as fast as possible and to like get them in stun locks and stuff. Okay. As opposed to what a lot of speedruns are, which is um, a lot of exploiting glitches. And yeah, that's that what I thought pretty much speedrunning was, yeah. Yeah, which it, it does happen a lot. You know, uh, some people will do no glitch speedruns because there's mm-hmm. different tiers. There's like any percentage, there's like 100% speedruns, there's right. no glitch speedruns, there's different sort of tiers, which can be confusing as a viewer, I'm sure. Um, so this was an any percent. They did a couple little glitches. It wasn't a big deal. They sort of like jumped up over top of the screen a couple of times. But it was tremendous to watch because it was very, very close. The person in the lead switched back and forth a couple of times. And, you know, sometimes when you're doing a race, like somebody gets ahead and they just carry that lead the whole way. Yeah. Um, this was very much back and forth. Uh, there were deaths by both players, which is often um, uncommon in speedruns, depending okay. on the game. Um, they had different gear choices. 
you know, one went for this like high risk, high reward, like magic armor. Uh, so there's like a strategic element there. And in the end, the game was, uh, the race was won by a factor of six seconds. So it was so down to the wire and it was just really uh, amazing to watch. And in the, in the wake of Awesome Games Done Quick, uh, the folks at PvP Live, who we reference occasionally on the show, yeah. um, they went out and they talked to a bunch of speedrunning players and they asked them about kind of the, the esports scene and where they see speedrunning going. Um, so I thought I might talk a little bit about their comments and maybe you can tell me whether they're full of it or not. Well, I, I got to say, bef- before you do that, I got to interrupt you. First of all, the, the speedrunning contest you were describing actually sounds interesting. Um, sounds pretty cool, the head-to-head part. And I was just about to say, I was bringing up my phone right now, that uh, the director of content at uh, PvP Live did tweet just recently, Josh Mull tweeted... Um, in speedrunning, quote, you get all the adrenaline and hype from other esports, but there's a lot. There's also a genuine joy to it that you just don't see in a lot of other um, scenes. Yeah, it's it's true because sort of that single player experience um, is something like you know when you're playing Shovel Knight, right? You're doing the same thing that they're doing. It's not a comp- it's not a competition. You're playing against the game, right? But it's right. who can play against the game the best, and a lot of the, the titles that are done in these speedruns are classics, right? Classics that people want to watch because they remember them from their childhood. Uh, it's not just like, oh, yeah, this game rewards the most technical skill. And it's like, you know, uh, some sort of like Bugs Bunny game for the NES like a million years ago that okay. no one cares about. Okay. It's a lot of the, like, the classics, right? And yeah, because when you originally were trying to convince me that speedrunning was a thing, I remember my big thing was like, well, if you don't know the game intimately, it's just all going to look like gobbledygook. You're not going to appreciate how skilled someone is. But if you're playing a classic, maybe people do. Yeah, there's sometimes some games are are occasionally speedrun because they have kind of wonky physics or something that make them more exploitable, that make for more exciting runs. But that's never like the primary concern. It's always about you know, do I love this game enough to play it over and over and over again to try and grind out just a little bit faster and uh, for people to watch. Um, so the the first player that they talked to was a guy by the with the amazing name of Bobby the Black the Black Tastic. Cruz, um, who might be your favorite because he's also an FGC player. He does uh, Street Fighter V. Sick. Yep. Um, and he said that the dream, and again, we're talking about sort of um, esports, you know, speedrunning, getting to that sort of level of prominence. The dream is said to become a reality sooner than you think. So he was talking about how the execution, the reaction time, the decision making are no different between speedrunning and, uh, and esports. And I don't think that's something that you would disagree with, that these are all... Um, competitors and that they all possess uh, amazing skill, right? No, I, not not immediately, no. Yeah, so he ha- emphasized again, races to him are like the hypest part of speedrunning, and I absolutely agree, and I think that that should actually kind of become the new standard. Yeah, I think so. If it's going to be a thing, because obviously you watching someone trying and break a world record is great, but you never know whether it's going to happen, so you just be, might be watching someone speedrun, and this could be their 700th time, which doesn't make a difference, or it could be the world record you don't know. Yeah. But if there's a race, obviously there's going to be... Somebody's going to win, there's excitement, there's... Uh, stakes. I feel like in speedrunning, if it becomes an eSport, the commentary will be so necessary. Yes. So, so necessary. Uh, and I think it's really on point already. I don't think that that's something that they need a lot of help with. 
Okay. Because listening to them, they'll say, okay, here's this part coming up. If you watch very closely, he's going to bounce on this thing and it's going to activate this glitch, which will save him about six or eight seconds. You know, and I need that. Like as a viewer, I need that. Yeah. And that's, I think, totally in place. Um, so the black text, black, I can't say it. Blacktastic? The blacktastic, yes, was talking about you've got leaderboards, they just need to become rankings. You've got competitions, they need to become events. And there's so much untapped potential. Um, and he talked about how you have these integration into the events, um, which is maybe the path forward because um, they have uh, an event called Smash the Record. I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, maybe heard the name. It's a joint Super Smash Brothers and speedrunning event. Good. Where Good. it's sort of, you know, attaching speedrunning to a more traditional competition. You know what? That's absolutely, if, if speedrunning has any chance, I think it, that's a great way to do it. It's become the undercard on a more popular esport. You know, it's just like, oh God, I've been watching Street Fighter for five hours. I'm going to go to the speedrunning room and... You know. <laughs> You're going to react, relax with some breakneck speedruns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was, they also spoke to David Grand Pooh Bear Hunt. Another great name. Yeah, that's a good name. Yeah. Um, he was he was talking about speedrunning being more chill than esports and stuff like that. But he was saying that we don't do a good job of marketing our speedrun stars, making stars out of our great players. We don't have a great space for detailed stats. Um, he was saying we need to do more than just charity events. And he's suggesting that um, the focus on charity in the speedrunning uh, uh, scene is actually holding them back. Huh. Um, he's saying, you know, we are getting more players, but they're not able to make a living the way that esports stars are. So we can't grow that way. Yeah, well, not a lot of esports stars are making a living either. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> um, they're saying a ton of things that they could do, but it'll take action on behalf of influential community members. And they're not sure if the community would want that necessarily. Uh, and he was talking about how they need higher stakes to attract the media. Man. So these charity events where there's nothing at at play at stake except for people you know sending money in and people uh -huh. celebrating that you know who wins or who loses you know it doesn't make a huge difference um and the last person they spoke to was andreas don sven svensson who manages a swedish-based team ludendi and he also was involved in the european speedrunner assembly which is the, the second largest event in the world he was saying the potential is there but the people in charge of the community might not be the best people for the job Shots and fired. That's sort of the thing I wanted your take on because is the notion that everything is there, all the pieces are in place, but the leaders of the community just don't want to push it there or they you know, don't have maybe the expertise to push it into that sort of business, high competition, esports zone. Okay. So I don't know who these people are. I actually don't know shit about speedrunning. Okay. Uh, other than what it is. But the more you talk about it, the more I feel like this was the FGC some number of years ago. Uh, in, in certain respects, it, regarding a grassroots community that doesn't really want to change, you know, mm -hmm. that's going to resist change. One that's not particularly friendly to the media or to being a, quote, esport. Uh, FGC is still allergic to that term, by the way. Of course. Um, and yeah, you've heard me go on and on about how esports professionals and teams desperately need communications and PR professionals. Man, I, if you are into esports, if you're a player, if you're listening to this, hire a damn communications representative. You guys, like, people think that their job is to just go and play and, you know, F off and that's it. 
It's not. Uh, that doesn't happen in uh, non-electronic sports. It shouldn't happen in electronic sports. And you need people who understand how to get yourself noticed, how to get media coverage. And it can be as simple, Kevin, as having a prize pot that has a big number on it because traditional newspapers love nothing more than to be like, check out these guys playing video games for a million dollars. True. It's and, and I can already hear the chorus of people. No, our scene is great. We love having it in basements. Oh my God. Oh, we don't want the media. They don't understand us. We oh, Shut up. Yeah. And I mean, I think like you and I both work in the media, right? And we understand that there's a difference between saying, uh, you know, awesome games, that, like people playing games, you know, raise a bunch of money for charity yeah. versus people playing games for a prize pool of $4 million or whatever. Yeah, one is a uh, a little tiny brief in the in the back of a newspaper. The other is a, f- a feature story. Yeah, and I don't think that they need to lose this focus on charity events or not necessarily focus. They can keep the charity events, right? But And that those will only grow, I think, as the scene gets larger with a more competitive focus. Yeah. Geez, I wonder what would happen if somebody, like you said, who is really business-minded... Um, came into this scene and started making moves. That would be interesting. Yeah, some sort of really bright podcaster who you know has oh. media experience and works in digital. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. What's up, speedrunners? Um, Kevin, before we wrap this up, I did promise to mention something about Riot Games. Um, we Samantha Eamon, in honor of her, our mm-hmm. uh, podcaster who's not here today, she likes to call them out on their BS uh, yep. sometimes. We really don't hate you, Riot. We're just... You just keep making it. Just when you're at the top, you become the punching bag. It's true. By necessity. It's true. So the latest news, you know, um, Doa and Monte Cristo, who are two really big casters in the League of Legends scenes. uh, I know their names. That means they're really big because I'm not a huge League of Legends guy. They um, seem to have parted ways with uh, League of Legends, and they've actually announced they're going to be casting Overwatch in Korea uh, starting this year. Um, and that's great. That's fantastic. And what they basically said was there was like a lack of trust on Riot's part, especially when they were working freelance for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really understand what's going on. There was no effort made to include them um, or to 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 think of their needs kind of thing. And uh, Blizzard has already in the fledgling you know, days or months or whatever of their relationship done that. It's not the first time we've seen this. I know there was another big caster a few months ago, forgive me for forgetting his name, who um, said that he made more money casting Overwatch for Blizzard in a couple weeks than he did for a month or two months uh, at his permanent gig in Riot. Yeah, and I know, like, obviously money is always a really big concern, but I believe these casters, when they say that um, just sort of the lack of trust and probably like uh, disorganization, you know, the lack of certainty that you're, you know what you're going to be doing, you know that you're going to have the right people in place, you know, you know you're going to have the right equipment, you know what they expect of you, and that things aren't changing on a dime, you know, that, that's, that's huge when you're, when you're working for a, a company that's moving as fast and growing as fast as Riot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they've got their shit together so much in other ways, you would think that uh, they'd be more communicative yeah. with, their, with their employees, freelance or otherwise. You know who else is trying to get on the Blizzard train but is having less success is our old friends, the Professional Esports Association. P. The, PEA. The PEA, yes. Uh, we talked about them last week uh, having that flare-up with their Counter-Strike League. Nasty little flare-up. Got to get some ointment for that. Yep. So all their players decided to jump over to ESL instead um, so they've decided shortly after we released the last uh, podcast that they are going to suspend all their Counter-Strike activities immediately because they didn't want to be 
the third major league in North America, right? Like, that's just not a space you want to be in. Okay. So they decided, um, according to Richard Lewis, who's an investigative esports journalist. Cool. They, yeah, no, he's he's broken a lot of uh, kind of scandals and stuff in the past. So yeah, that's he, really cool. He's one to follow. Um, he has some verified but anonymous sources uh, that said that the PEA was looking at Blizzard properties. That's Overwatch, Hearthstone, Here's of the Storm. Um, to open up a league there because they think it's less saturated and that they might be able to put their efforts there instead of Mm Counter-Strike. And apparently Blizzard shut them down because they have their own plans, you know? That doesn't surprise me uh, because Blizzard uh, this summer, I think, started pulling out all all their Hearthstone from all these third-party tournaments because they wanted to to do it all themselves. Blizzard's a control freak. Yeah, Blizzard, uh, sorry, Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard. Very much likes to keep things in their own, you know, uh, their own wheelhouse, you know, under their own control. They don't have to put their games on Steam or whatever. They have their own battle net. um, And they're, this coming year, or... For the rest of 2017. Yeah, yeah, it's 2017, Kevin. It's 2017 now, I'm awake. Uh, They've got the Overwatch League that's that's coming together, so it makes a lot of sense that they wouldn't want somebody else to jump the gun and start putting together their own separate leagues. Maybe it'll happen, but it looks like the PEA is not going to be able to uh, be a part of that. Damn, man, they're getting brick-walled. They are getting brick-walled, and I can't wait to see if they can survive this and find a place to rest their heads or whether they're just going to, you know, wither. Isa wins. Flawless <laughs> victory. Isa oh, Isa. Yeah, not Isa. Isa. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, uh, good luck to the PEA. I hope they find an eSport that they don't fail. All the luck to you guys. Yes. Best of luck. Sounds like you're going to need it. Um, that's all the time we have for this cast, Kevin. Um, remember, guys, Scrub League is on all the social medias. Uh, we're at Scrub League Cast on Twitter. Uh, we're on the Facebook. We're on the Instagram. You can hit us up there. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Um, big thank you to Out Loud Post Productions for doing the recording, editing, and post production. Uh, and also to Phantom and K, who made the cool music you hear throughout this podcast. For Kevin Hamilton and the absent Samantha Eamon, I am Colin McNeil saying GG. This has been a Metro podcast.